Okay, so the title of today's message is Salvation is from the Lord. Um, I believe if you have an ESV, it may be in the other versions as well, it'll say salvation is of the Lord. So salvation is of the Lord or salvation is from the Lord. That's what we're going to see today. So in chapter 1, real quickly, we looked at, and uh, we started this book a few weeks ago, this historical account of the prophet Jonah. And if you remember in the first three verses, the first week was just really the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. And we talked about how that phrase is used over a hundred times in the Old Testament. Just of the Lord giving a word to one of His prophets, giving instruction. And so that's what we saw happening in chapter 1, that it was a clear command from the Lord to Jonah as His prophet. If you guys remember Jonah... Uh, was referenced in 2 Kings, I believe, chapter 14, that he was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And so, the word of the Lord came to this prophet with a very clear command to go to Nineveh and cry against that city. And we'll look at, I believe it's next week, really what the instruction of his message was going to be. Really just a message of doom. And we know the story that, that the city repents. But at the, at the command of the Lord, Jonah rebelled. He went the other way. He fled to Tarshish in the other direction. And so last week we looked at the rest of chapter 1, verses 4-17. through We just saw that that God is sovereign. That He is gracious. Again, these are the themes of of the story. That He's gracious. That He's sovereign. We saw really God in His sovereignty sending the storm. Right? We know He appoints the storms. He's in control of the weather. That He sent this storm to get the attention of his sleeping prophet in the bottom of the boat. So he used the storm. He used the the captain to wake him up. He used even the rebuke of, of the sellers. Questions like, how could you do this? What are you doing asleep? How could you do this? After he had confessed who he was, that he was a prophet of God, that he feared the Lord God of Israel, and so he, he uses these sellers, in other words, in the storm, in his loving discipline, to, to correct Jonah in his rebellion. And that's what he does in our lives as his children. Any discipline of the Lord, if, we get off, if you get off track and you get in a life of rebellion, God is going to discipline you. And, and so what we saw last week, we can either humble ourselves or God will humble us by sending some big storms in our life or maybe even a big fish. Um, he also, Jonah had instructed them, the, the sailors, to throw him into the sea. And so, so the sailors, they discerned that this, is, that this was the will of God because they were frightened. They were frightened by the storm. They were frightened when Jonah told them who he was, that he feared the Lord God of Israel who made the heavens and the sea and the dry land. These men became more and more fearful. So they didn't, they didn't want to throw him in. They tried to row back to the, to the land, but God stopped them. And so they discerned through his confession, through casting lots, and through different means that this was indeed God's will. So they did what Jonah instructed them to do, and they, they threw him in the water. And as a result, what happened? The sea, the, the sea stopped its raging. And then we saw the men, these, these, again, these pagan idolaters, probably from several different nations, we see them worshiping the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. We see them 
sacrificing, with thanksgiving and making a vow to the Lord. All indications that God in His grace had saved these men. So that we see the sovereign hand of God chasing His prophet by sending a storm, but also saving these, saving these pagans. And so, we see God keeping His covenant promises that He would be a God, right? Not just to the nation of Israel, but to the nations. That kind of language is in the Old Testament. Genesis 26.4, the Lord told Isaac, By your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's something that the nation of Israel as a whole forgot. They, they wanted to claim that the blessing was just for them. But it was never intended to be. And so we left off last time in chapter 1. We finished in, in verse 17. And um, where it says, and we're going to start off there this week, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. So that's where we're, we, we left off there last week. And we're, we're going to start there today. And, but for those who weren't here a couple weeks ago, we also looked at that as really one of the key verses in Jonah as being the sign of Jonah. Remember that Jesus referred to in, in multiple times in the Gospels where He, where he, where he told the, uh, the hypocritical uh, uh, religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, that the only sign they're going to see is the sign of Jonah, His resurrection. Which again, for us, as the church, it's our greatest hope. But it's but it's it's going to be it's a sign of judgment for those who don't believe. It's it's a sign that that Jesus Christ is who He says He is, that He has defeated death, and and that those who don't come to Him, as Acts seventeen says, it's an assurance that they're going to stand before Him in judgment. And so that's that's the sign of Jonah. Any, anytime you see that in the New Testament, the sign of Jonah, it's referring to that verse right there: His death, burial, and resurrection. And so this story, guys, today we're talking about this, this verse in chapter 1, verse 17, and in chapter 2, verse 10, we're going to see the text mention the great fish, right? Whether it's a whale, whether it's a fish, whatever it was, this is the text we're going to see it in today. And so is it not true that when most people think of um, the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, that's what they think. Oh, that's the story about the big fish. But guys, did you know that that's it? Verse 17 and verse 10. That's the only mention of the fish. And so yes, it is part of the story, but that, the, the account of Jonah is not about a big fish. The account of Jonah is really about our great God. Okay? So it can get lost in, uh, in, in this story really being about a fish. That's really a small part of the story as far as how much the, the fish is even mentioned. And then lastly, it's, it, it's interesting to know where we left off last week that the sailors, you know, they, they, they discerned that this is indeed God's will that, that we're going we're gonna to cast Jonah into the sea like Jonah had instructed. But it's interesting to note, just if you think about it, that the sailors probably didn't give much thought to Jonah actually surviving, right? They just threw him overboard. <laughs> they had no idea that, that God was going to rescue him. And... But and, and this is just this is just food for thought. But maybe they heard the news, right? These men had heard the stories of the God of Israel rescuing Israel, defeating defeating Israel's armies. And there's no doubt. Maybe these men heard at some point in the future that that the great city of Nineveh had repented, 
at this preaching of man named Jonah. Who knows? And when the sailors threw Jonah into the sea, that's the last he, that he saw of those sailors. He didn't, he didn't get to witness these, these idolaters now become worshipers of the, of the God of Israel. It's just things that, that that was the end of their, of their encounter. And so it just made me think, guys, that, that God is continually at work, right? Behind the scenes. He was continually at work after Jonah went into the sea. He wasn't done with Jonah, as we'll see today. And as Jonah went into the sea, he had no idea what God was doing with those sailors. So God is continually at work, guys. We, we just see really just little glimpses of what God is doing. But it, it made me just think of how big our God is and how, how He is at work saving His people right now as we speak. You know, right down to, 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 to an encounter you may have with somebody and you share the Gospel with them and you have no idea what God's doing in that heart. Maybe the last time you see that person, but, but we just don't know. It just, that's what it made me think of. Is that God is, you know, we encounter people here and there, and then, and then we never see them again or hear from them again, but, but God is at work. So let's just trust Him. Um, so before we get started, guys, if you'll stand, we'll read, starting in verse 17 in chapter 1, and then read the short chapter of chapter 2 in Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. Chapter 1, verse 17. Again, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever, but you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. You guys can be seated. Father, Lord, I would just ask that You would help me today to communicate Your Word to Your people today. And Father, may Your Holy Spirit give us understanding of Your Word and help us in applying it to our lives. And Father, we just ask that Jesus Christ will be glorified today and may Your will be accomplished in Christ's name. Amen. So God has a way of getting our attention. We talked about that last week, that He will go to any lengths to get our attention. As His children, He will go to any lengths in His loving discipline to get our attention, just like a parent will attempt to do with a child. 
And so what had Jonah been trying to do, guys, as we come to chapter 2 and chapter 1, what, he, what had he been trying to do from the very start? Right? Flee from the presence of the Lord. Is that right? Yeah, he was trying to flee from His presence. And as we talked about last week, guys, he was a prophet of God. He doesn't really think that he can flee from the, from the all-knowing, omnipresent presence of God. Because he knows, you know, he would be familiar with Psalm 139, that no matter where I would go, he is there. But as we talked about last week, he's just fleeing from that, what the old theologians called his felt presence. From the, from the place of prayer, he's trying to flee that, that intimate relationship, the place of prayer, the place of service, or the place of evangelism. That's, he's trying to flee God in that sense. Just think about if you've ever fallen into sin in your Christian life, that's kind of the way it is, right? If you're in sin, I've been there. You don't, it, Being in the presence of the Lord around God's people, and those type of things, it's not a comfortable feeling. So Jonah, in his rebellion, was just trying to flee the presence of the Lord. But now in verse 1 and chapter 2, now, ironically, what do we see him doing? Jonah prayed to the Lord. Now he's praying to the One. The Lord, His God. That word His, it has an emphasis of, of personal. It's His God. So what happened? Now he's praying to the One that he was trying to flee from. He's praying. I don't, I don't believe this prayer, this is what I mentioned a while ago, guys. I don't believe this prayer is a prayer to be saved from the fish but rather a prayer or a psalm of thanksgiving for being saved by the fish. Jonah's, Jonah, in other words, is recalling his prayer. This prayer in the belly of the fish is him recalling his prayer that he made for the Lord's help as he was descending to the bottom of the sea. I think that language is clear as you go through the text. So I think we'll clearly see, guys, that the fish, the fish is the means that saves Jonah from drowning. Obviously. And so we'll look at we'll look at this prayer in verses two through nine. Jonah is now, guys, in the presence of the Lord. Okay? It, it, that felt presence, right? That intimate presence. He is now in the presence of the Lord in what? Passionate prayer. Passionate prayer. We'll look at that here in a moment. And and beloved, this is the most important place to be for you and I. Always in the presence of the Lord. Okay? It's always the best place to be in our life. Okay? Whether, Whether you're sinking, right? Obviously, an illustration, right? Whether you're... You're, you're going through trials and you're sinking to the bottom. Things are caving in around you. The best place to be is in God's presence during the midst of the storm. Okay, Whether you're in, in a storm, the bottom of the sea, or in a belly of a fish, in some hard trials, the best place to be is in the presence of the Lord, not trying to flee His presence. Whether it's your personal life, Something going on in your personal life, in your relationships, with your finances, with your health, in ministry. You're trying to accomplish something that you believe the Lord called you to do. The most important place to be is in His presence. Amen? 
And so the theme of today's message, guys, it's on the back of your bulletin, is this, God sends us affliction. Okay, God sends us affliction so that we might call out to Him the One who is mighty to save. Okay? God sends us affliction so that we might call out to Him the One who is mighty to save. And so, you, you got your three points on the back that you guys usually hear me mention. Uh, so hopefully this will be helpful for you as a guide. Point number one is this. That the Lord cast Jonah into the deep. That's, that's his affliction, right? The Lord cast Jonah into the deep. And then you'll see the, the, the two subpoints that I have listed under there. The Lord cast Jonah into the deep, first of all, by means of the sailors. So. Uh, yeah, verse, verse, look at verse 3 in chapter 2. I'm sorry. Yeah, look at verse 3 in chapter 2. That's where we see point number 2, or point number 1. For you had cast me into the deep, right? You had cast me into the deep. Well, I thought the sailors had cast him into the deep. Obviously, Jonah recognizes that even though it was the sailors who had, had in verse 15 in chapter 1, so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, it was just God's means of doing it. He recognized that the Lord is the one who cast him into the deep. What does this signify? I believe it signifies that he knew Jonah had a recognition of, he knew that he, who he had sinned against. He sinned against the Lord. He recognized, Lord, you cast me into the deep. He recognized what David said in Psalm 51.4. You remember that, guys, in his psalm of repentance? And he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's what Jonah recognizes. He recognizes that his sin against God is against God and God's the one who cast me into the deep. And he did it by means of the sellers. And so why that's important is we don't see... We, we see that he recognizes his sin is against God. We don't see him complaining to God or blaming the sellers or blaming other people. This is, this is repentance in Jonah's heart here. I mean, even, even as we go through this narrative, he's still got some issues, as we'll see later. But he's recognizing that God is the one who cast him into the sea. Because of his rebellion. He's not blaming anybody. And so what can we learn from this? Guys, when God puts us in the furnace, right? You can call it the furnace or, or a storm in life. Maybe it's because of our sin, like Jonah, but maybe it's not. What we can learn is we don't look around to blame someone else or get mad at God. Jonah's not getting mad at God. He's just recognizing, you cast me into the deep. I recognize these guys threw me into the deep. But it's because of what I did. And he recognizes God being the one who did it. But we don't see him getting mad at God. We don't see him blaming other people. But rather we see him in, in, in repentance. And so, so to apply that to our lives, we, when we go through things and God puts us in trials... 
Obviously, if we're in there because of our sin, what this should teach us that we need to we need to repent if we sin against God. And always, guys, if when you're in the middle of a trial, we don't need to get mad at God. We don't need to. It's it's okay to question in the sense of of why, but the, but the but our mindset needs to be why is this happening, Lord? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? What do you want me to learn from this? Those are proper responses to the trial. Not blaming God, not shaking our fists at God, and not blaming other people. Because when we do that, we're just going right back to, right back to, the, to the garden. Right? That's what our edemic nature wants to do, is blame somebody for our troubles. And rather, God is trying to get our attention and trying to teach us something. He's, he's trying to get Jonah's attention Obviously. And as we'll see, it works. So the Lord, point number one, the Lord casts us into the deep by means of the sailors. And secondly, to sink to the depths. The Lord cast Jonah into the deep to sink to the depths. Look at verse 2. And he said, or, or the middle part of that verse, I cried for help from the depth. Of Sheol, from the depth of Sheol. Verse 3 For you cast me into the deep. And then verse 5 The great deep engulfed me. He keeps using this language of deep. And it means what it says it's the deep part of the seas. It was, this wasn't close to shore, like 20 foot deep. This was in the deep part of the sea. And of course, God is omniscient, is He not? He knows all things. He knows our motives. He knows our rebellion. He knows where we're at. And He, and he knew what it would take to get Jonah's attention. That's what this, this second sub-point is. He, he cast him into the deep for that very reason, to sink to the depths, because He knew that's what it would take to get the stubborn prophet's attention. And in this case, guys, knowing what it would take to get Jonah's attention, it was, the, it was really the very verge of death that it took to get his attention. To get Jonah's attention. The death of Sheol is, is what it says in verse 2. This word, guys, often means you know the realm of the dead, but it also often describes a catastrophic condition which is just near death. Listen to Psalm 30, verses 2 and 3, and you can, you can, we can see that clearly. The psalmist says, O Lord my God, I cried to You for help, and You healed me. O Lord, You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive, that I would not go down to the pit. So Jonah recognized that he was nearing death. And he associated that with the realm of Sheol, right? Jonah saw this, in other words, guys, as a watery grave. I'm fixing to die, and as we'll see, he's near the bottom of the depths of the sea. I am, I am fixing to die, and God did this on purpose. God cast him into the deep so that he would sink down to the bottom. 
What does God have to do to get your attention? And my attention? Listen to 2 Corinthians 1.9. This is one of the texts we just read a while ago. Paul said, We had the sentence of death within ourselves so that, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Do you realize that's why one of the main reasons God sends us through trials? So that we will learn to trust Him. It's painful sometimes, but but just remember, God does it because He loves us. He desires our Christ-likeness. He desires your Christ-likeness more than your comfort. And it's through affliction most of the time that we learn these things. When we go through difficult times in in this life, we realize how precious our relationship is with Christ. He's the only one guaranteed in this life. I've told this to people. I've learned this. Okay? Your health is not guaranteed. Your job's not guaranteed. Your marriage is not guaranteed. Your children are not guaranteed. The only thing you can say with 100% confidence that's guaranteed is your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. And you can bank on it. Right? Death has no power over that. Death just ushers you into the reality of it. So that's what God does. And He's trying to get His attention. What does He have to do to get your attention? If you're a Christian, obviously, is there something that that maybe God has called you to do like, like He did Jonah? Is, is God trying to get your attention? I don't know. Maybe not. But if He is, what does He have to do? Are you resisting God in any area of your life? Or maybe you're one who you're still running from God. You've never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. What is is it going to take for God to get your attention? This is the sovereign God of the universe who, as we'll see, cast His prophet to fall to the very depths of the sea, what's it going to take for God to get your attention if you're running from God in your rebellion? Because God is a God who gets our attention. Is it going to take maybe a tragedy in your life? Many people come to Christ through certain tragedies. I've got a very close friend. You guys would know his name if I mentioned, but it's not relative that I mention his name. But he came to Christ because, and it it took this, it took his brother-in-law dying in an instant fatal vehicle accident to where he started contemplating things of eternity. Is that what it's going to take? Maybe a health report that you get. Hey, you've got got something that, that we don't have no cure for. That stuff happens. What's it going to take? Maybe it'll take a head-on collision where you survive, but your loved one is taken to where God gets your attention. What is it going to take? You have heard the command to repent. 
and that you're not guaranteed another day. That message is always true. Martin Lloyd-Jones says there are only two ways of dying, okay? There's only two ways of dying. In your sins or in Jesus Christ. In your sins or in Jesus Christ. What's it going to take for God to get your attention that your life is fleeting? Your life is a vapor And the very God that you're trying to flee from is the very God that you will be in His presence one day. It's inevitable. So the second point we see. We see that the Lord cast Jonah into the deep. Secondly, we see Jonah cries for help. Jonah cries for help. Verse 2, I called out of my distress to the Lord. I called out of my distress to the Lord. Jonah cried with his whole heart. That's what this is is talking about. He cried with his whole heart. He prayed earnestly. That word just means to a boiling point. This was not a casual prayer that, that, that we see Jonah. And I don't think it would be with us either. If we were falling through the bottom of the sea, I don't think we would be going, Lord, could you help me? I think it would be earnest. If you knew your life was flashing before your eyes, just like the pagan sellers, right? Before God had truly revealed Himself, we saw them, it says, all of them cried out in prayer. Even if it was to their false God, they all became men of prayer because they realized their life was in danger. This was a prayer and a cry for rescue. So Jonah cries for help. First of all, we see he cries again in desperation. Verse 2, I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. This cry, this earnest cry. Let me ask you a question. Could Jonah picture, just picture Jonah, picture the, the front of your bulletin. Picture him descending down to the bottom. Could Jonah help himself? No. He could not help himself. Could anybody else help him? No. No. All caps. No. And, and, and God puts us in situations, beloved, where we must trust Him. Does He not? He puts us in situations where the only help you have is, is Him. Now again, I don't... You know, because it, be, it could be maybe your finances... Or it could be maybe your health. Or maybe a deep desire of your heart. Okay, so so I think you guys would know this. What I'm not saying is that God is your genie and is going to answer every time you cry out for Him. We know that. But God puts us in desperate situations where He is the one we must look to. I can say this with absolute assurance. God loves when we are desperate for Him above all else. He knows what's best for each one of us. He loves meeting the desires of our heart when those desires match according to His will. But even in that, God has His 
His purposes for for granting or withholding certain desires for us at certain times in our life. But the one thing that we can be guaranteed of is that God loves it when we become desperate for Him. God desires that we desperately desire Him above all. And He loves bringing us to that place in our life where it's like Jonah, all he could do is look up. We're going to see a little later. He, he remembered the Lord. And so that's the best place to be again. In, in His presence. Trusting in Him. Whatever that desire is that we have in our, that we have in our heart. And they can be good desires. Just know this. I believe, I believe that the principle of Scripture teaches that, that no matter how bad we desire something, if our desire is, but Lord, I desire You most whether You give me this or not. It's honoring to Him. It's honoring to Him. And again, if you are still lost, if you have not come to Christ until you see the dangerous predicament that you're in, you'll never become desperate in your desire to be rescued. Jonah was desperate in his desire to be rescued. Again, he's crying in desperation. Verse 7, it says, while I was fainting away. Jonah was overwhelmed. Can we even imagine? Put yourself in his shoes. Can we even imagine the anxiety he had? And this would go for anybody. Anybody who dies in a in a in a drowning situation or a or a or a or a fire or anything. Think of the, the anxiety that's going through through your mind when you're when you're when you're going through something like that. But with Jonah, just think of the anxiety, the grief, the sorrow, knowing. That he was cast into the sea as a form of God's judgment. It was his displeasure for his rebellion is why he's here. Think of the thoughts that were going through. He said, when I was fainting away, thinking it was the very end. Verse 3, it says, as the, as the current engulfed me. That's almost word for word from Psalm 42.7. Some of this language. In other words, what David meant metaphorically, Jonah applied to himself as literally being fulfilled. This is a man who knew the Word of God. He says, As the currents engulfed me, all your breakers and billows passed over me. Just think of the, all of the things in the water and the seaweed. It's a, he says, The great deep engulfed me in verse 5. Weeds were wrapped around my head. In verse 6, I descended to the roots of the mountains, the earth with its bars around me forever. This man is becoming desperate. This man was the one who is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, and now Jonah recognizing that he is in a watery prison. There's no way out. Death was certain. Remember the picture we talked about last week? Just the picture of him descending further in his rebellion to the bottom of the boat where he went to sleep. 
He just keeps sinking. His descent has been downward. Literally, now he is at the bottom of the sea. The phrase that we use, Jonah is fixing to hit rock bottom. Usually that's a figurative statement. Jonah is literally fixing to hit rock bottom. And it's by God's design. But we see him now. Again, the second point we're looking at that note, but now he's crying out to God. He is crying out to, again, the Lord, his God. And he's crying out to him in desperation. Beloved, no matter, again, no matter what area of life it is, it's always a healthy thing to be desperate for God. Okay? To be desperate for God. And to be, yes, to be desperate for his help. To be desperate for His help with your marriage. To be desperate for His help with your finances, with your health, whatever. Yes, yes, and amen. But to be desperate for Him. That is honoring to the Lord. When we, are, when we have everything, when we have all the food, our, our cabinets are full, our bank accounts are full, but yet we're desperate for Him. That's where God wants you. That's where He wants us. Is desperate for Him no matter how good or bad we got it. And so secondly, we see the sub-point number two. Jonah cries for help. First, he cries in desperation. Secondly, he cries in truth. Okay? He cries in truth. Verse 7. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. In other words, Jonah, obviously Jonah was a prophet and he, he no doubt remembered the truth about God, who He was. He remembered His covenants. He remembered His, His mercies. These are things we were talking about Wednesday night. Just remembering who God is. That way when the trials come, our minds are in the right place. Because if we're led by our emotions, guys, sometimes it feels like God's forsaken us. But we have to know who our God is. Jonah, in spite of his rebellion, he knew who his God was. We have seen that he was very familiar with the Psalms. He, he would have been very familiar with a, with, a, with a truth like this in Psalm 103.17. The loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. So Jonah's crying for help, crying to the Lord, not only in desperation, but in truth. Again, he's not blaming others for his predicament. He recognizes that it's his fault. Did you know that that's calling out to God in truth when we recognize it's my fault? We tell sinners, call upon the name of the Lord. Right? Psalm 145.18 says, the Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. It's very important to call upon God in truth. Part of the truth is recognizing I'm guilty. Right? What is repentance? Agreeing with God. We agree with God. That's calling on the Lord in truth. Call upon the name of the Lord in truth. Jonah is remembering who his God is. That He is a holy, righteous God and that He has been living in rebellion. That's why He is where He's at. So He remembers the Lord. He remembers the Lord 
in His prayer. Who He is. The truth about Him. The the verse in uh, verse 8 is kind of an odd looking verse. In the NAS it's worded this way, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. I like the way a guy by the name of T. Desmond Alexander, he's uh, he was the author of this section of the Tyndale Old Testament commentary series. He says this about this verse because I think it applies to, to this point that I'm making here on calling upon the Lord in truth. He says on, on verse 8, um, if, as seems likely, this verse forms a contrast with what follows in verse 9. So verse 9 says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Okay, so, so let, me, let me read this again. If, as seems likely, this verse, verse 8, forms a contrast with what follows in verse 9, then Jonah expresses here the opinion that those who worship idols will discover in times of trouble how impotent they really are and will result... And as a result, will no longer show loyalty or love toward their supposed gods. Listen, a false god, a false idol, is not going to be able to help you in times of trouble. I think that's all he's saying here. Those who worship, he goes on to say, those who worship the Lord, however, will always find him trustworthy and reliable. Does that mean he's going to? He's going to answer your every prayer for every need that we have in this physical life? No. There's a thing called sickness. There's a thing called death. But even then, God is faithful. He is a covenant-keeping God. And He will never leave us nor forsake us. And He goes on to say, Thus, it seems best to translate this verse as follows. Those who cling to their worthless idols will abandon their loyalty to them. We saw that. We saw the... Uh, by God's grace, the, the sailors do that in the ship, right? When they were confronted with the danger of this storm, they again, it's all by God's grace, they were confronted with the truth of who sent this storm, the God of Israel. What began to happen? It says they called out to the Lord now. They forsook, they knew these false gods can't help. Idols ain't gonna, they're not gonna help us. And, 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 and so that's what Jonah is crying out to the only one whom He knows can help. Let's be done with the worthless idols. They can't help you. No, in other words, call upon the Lord in truth today. That's how we apply that text. False gods can't help us. False gods can't... Why do men make up idols in their minds and hearts because they don't like the God revealed in Scripture. They don't like the God who is a God of judgment who's going to hold them accountable. And so they don't want to deal with a God that won't judge them. And so the gods that they make up in their minds, they won't judge them. But guess what else that God can't do? It can't save them. Only the God who is the God of holiness The Lord God of heaven is also the God who is a Savior. There's only one God. It's our triune God. And so, He called upon the name of the Lord in desperation, but also in truth. And then thirdly, we see 
the Lord answers. The Lord casts him into the deep, point number one. Jonah cries out for help, point number two. And thirdly, we see that the Lord answers. Verse two, and he answered me. That's easy enough to see. And we'll see three things. First of all, he answered because he's gracious. He answered because he's gracious. Verse six, but you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. You have brought my life up from the pit. Do we remember, guys, that's what God did for you and I. When He saved you, He brought your life up from the very pit. Not the bottom of an ocean. Something much worse than that. But that's what He sees. He goes, You have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. How did He do this? Well, He did it sovereignly. Right? Verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. So He did it sovereignly and graciously. Jonah, and why do I say graciously? There's not a verse that says graciously. Well, we know that it's graciously because did Jonah deserve it? No, he didn't deserve it. Grace is God's given us something we don't deserve. So he's, he, he rescues Jonah graciously and sovereignly by sending a great fish. He was on the verge of death. And it says, you have, you have brought up my life from the pit in verse 6. And that just means the realm of the dead. Jonah, Jonah thought he was gone. He thought he was dead. He, was, he, he, he described it as the pit, the realm of the dead. And the Lord graciously rescued him. Remember what it said? Uh, that we we uh, preached a sermon several months ago. But, but He rescued us. Remember in Galatians uh, chapter 1? In the NAS it says he, he, he gave Himself for our sins to rescue us. Jonah was rescued. Have you been rescued? Everybody in here has either been rescued or you haven't. You need to be. Have you been rescued? So secondly, we see the Lord answers because not only is He gracious, but He is able he is able. A good friend of ours at Grace Place Baptist Church would always say that was his favorite attribute of God is that He is able. God is able. Our Lord, in other words, is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Isaiah 59.1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. His hand was... Not too short to save Jonah, and his hand is not too short to save you today. Beloved, salvation is from the Lord, verse 9. Is it not? Salvation is from the Lord. One of the main themes of the book, one of the main themes of the Bible, the title of the message, salvation is from the Lord. And that means all salvation. Okay? What, what does salvation mean? Deliverance. Rescue. Salvation is of the Lord, whether it's temporal salvation. In Jonah's situation, this was more of a temporal, physical salvation, but it was all of God. He, he had nothing to do with it. His friends had nothing to do with it. His good works had nothing to do with it. It was all of God. Whether it's that, whether it's a spiritual salvation. God delivering you in your, in your Christian life, give, giving you victory over sin, 
It's of the Lord. It's not going to come from your own power and your own will power. It's going to come from the power of the Holy Spirit. And obviously, eternal salvation is from the Lord. From beginning to end. What is this prayer of thanksgiving? Meaning, meaning verses 2-9, through nine, it's, a, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. What is this prayer of thanksgiving teaching us? I believe it's teaching us to pray. And to pray desperately. To get desperate in our prayers. To remember that we can go to the throne of God from any place. Right? I mean, He went to the throne of God from the bottom of the ocean. God wants us to be desperate. God wants us to be what? Men and women who pray without ceasing. He wants us to be desperate for Him. Desperate for His care, for His help, for His provision. At the bottom of the ocean or in the belly of the fish or anywhere else. Listen to Psalm 37, 39-40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. There it is again. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. Who is their strength? He is their strength. Guys, He is your strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. It's all throughout the Scriptures. Guys, He saves and delivers those who take refuge in Him. So we see the Lord answers because He's gracious, because He's able, and lastly, because He's not finished with Jonah. He's not finished with Jonah. Verse 9, Jonah says, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. He worships Yahweh right here. This is a this is a, a a song of worship. He worships Yahweh in thanksgiving for rescuing him, and he makes a vow. And I think this vow is just simply, Lord, you have, I, I worship you. You have rescued me, and I'm going to Nineveh. God's not done with Jonah. There's another reason he rescued him. Beloved, let me ask you a question. How often do you thank God for saving you? How often do you and I thank God for saving us? Like we see Jonah here. Thanking God. How often do you get up in the morning, the first thing that comes to your mind, once you kind of get out of your grogginess, is Lord, thank You for saving me. How often do you thank God for saving you? Do you realize, beloved, I believe that this is our best motivation to serving Him. Is remembering that He saved you. Like we see Jonah. Jonah's recognizing that I am rescued because of God. Now I'll do what you tell me to do. How often do you thank God for saving you? Verse 10, just as He had, he had appointed the fish... Now the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto the dry land because He's not done with Jonah. And He's not done with you and I either. Do you realize that? If He was done with us, He would have saved you and boom, that's it. 
But He's not. He's not done with us. We know the story. We know that He has a plan of redemption. The Lord rescued Jonah through the providence of the fish because He decreed in eternity past that He would use Jonah as a means of saving thousands of souls in Nineveh. He wasn't through with Jonah and He's not through with you and I either. Why do I know that? Because we're still here. And so, beloved, you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. No matter what else God has you doing, no matter how he is, how much He is blessing you, what kind of career you have, He gives us all kinds of different talents and gifts, places us where He has us in life to be a part of His redemptive purposes of the salvation of His people that He's going to save. Amen? So in conclusion, verse 10, we'll look at that again really in closing. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Before I get to that point, I was going to include this in the sermon, but just didn't have time. But there, there's a story that I read. It's in an article. Uh, I'll get the information and share it with you. But uh, of a guy who was really swallowed by a, I think it was a whale in the 19th century, and uh, so that so some some sailors had harpooned this whale and, and harvested the blubber off of it and found this guy in the belly of the whale. Had been there over a day and he was alive. So that was, that was kind of interesting. <laughs> But uh, And I'll get the source of that, that story. But in conclusion, guys, look at verse 10 real quickly. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That this was a command from the Lord to the fish. And what did the fish do? It obeyed, right? What, <laughs> what, did, the, what did the sea do? It obeyed. What do we see these animals doing? We'll look at a worm here later in the, in the account. What do we see the creatures doing? Obeying God. Isn't that interesting? They don't have to be asked one time, two times, three times. They obey. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. God speaks to other creatures and it is done. They are His ready, obedient servants. But to man, He speaks once, Yea, twice, and he, man, perceives it not, regards it not, but turns a deaf ear to what he says. Have you ever thought of that? The only one who says no to God is sinful man and woman, sinful humanity. What does the Bible say in Hebrews? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But that's what we see mankind doing in their stubborn, foolish pride. Salvation is from the Lord. We, we sang about it. We, we saw the Father, right? The Father who's the one who chooses us. The Father's the one who draws us. Obviously, the Son redeems. The Son purchases through His death and resurrection. The Spirit regenerates and seals us 
Salvation is from the Lord. God is a gracious God. If you don't know Christ, understand this. That in His grace, it may not be the jaws of a fish. It may be the jaws of death that God has to use to get your attention. Salvation is from the Lord. Only our sovereign God can take a rebel, an idolater, and turn him into a worshiper of the one true God. And it happens all the time. Amen? It's happened in here. I used to be one. Only our God can do that. Salvation is from the Lord. Only He can take a liar, a habitual liar, and make him into a lover of the truth and a man who desires integrity in the inward parts. Amen? I've witnessed it happen. I was one. I could lie to you like the devil. But I have a desire to be a man of integrity. That's only the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. He can take... I don't know, I don't know any other word to use for it, guys. But He can take a pervert. He can take an adulterer. He can take a fornicator. He can take a homosexual. Whatever, whatever sexually immoral lifestyle it is and transform that person to a person who walks in purity. And desires that above anything else, even in the thought life. He's done it with millions of people. Salvation is from the Lord. He can take a wrath-filled and anger-filled person, the most hateful person, and turn them into a gentle and kind servant. That's who our God is. Salvation is from the Lord. He can take a, he can take a selfish person who just loves themselves and a hater of God who's headed for hell just like Jonah was headed to the bottom of the ocean and make them into one who selflessly loves others, is a servant to others, and loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is delivered from the domain of darkness. Salvation is of the Lord. It is from the Lord. There's nowhere else to look but to Him. The one that those who are trying to flee His presence, just like Adam was in the garden, trying to hide from God through idolatry, through evolution, through atheism, all the foolishness efforts that men try to flee the presence of the Lord. You're not going to flee the presence of the Lord just like Jonah would not. Even in the depths of Sheol, He is there. On the other side of death, the one you're trying to flee from is the one you're going to stand before. And it's, it's Him. Salvation is from Him and Him alone. He is love. God is love. And He sent His Son to rescue you. How long are you going to try to run from God? And the great promise, one of the greatest promises in the Bible, beloved, and we'll close with this, is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. Join me in prayer. Father, thank You that You love us. Thank You that You are sovereign, that You are powerful, that You're able to save. Thank You that You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That You have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked will turn from His way and live. Lord, if that wasn't true, then none of us would be saved. None of us would be rescued. But Lord, You have saved multitudes and You will have multitudes from all different nations and tribes and tongues worshiping You before the throne. And it's all because of Your grace. It's all because You are a sovereign and gracious God. Please comfort all of us in here with that truth. Lord, remind us that You have saved us. You have rescued us. And that our hearts would be thankful for that. That our, that our desire to serve You would come out of a grateful heart and not a sense of duty. But that You have rescued us from the pit. From the depths of our sin. And Lord, may that be the motivation of everyone in here, Lord. And for those who do not know You, Lord, may they quit playing silly games and realizing You cannot run and flee from the presence of a sovereign God who's going to be there. Who is going to be the reality on the other side of death. Please, by Your grace, use this message for Your glory and for people's good. In Jesus' name, Amen.